Welcome back for a rollicking episode of the La Brea Purveya. I am your purveyor, Pete Phillips, and we are covering Season 2, Episode 6 today, which was pretty damn bonkers. We have paternal reveals, new sets, a world-saving plan, product placement, and vultures. It's all leading up to the fall finale on November 15th, where the world could possibly end, depending on time travel rules. Episode Recap We start our episode at the title's namesake, Lazarus. The Lazarus building is very odd. It has a bridge to get in. There's like a parking attendant station built into a rock. It's all very weird how they try to build things into the landscape, because who's going to see them? Besides the people that they're already exploiting, who's going to see a wooden square box with a guard inside and be like, hey, you don't belong here. So Gavin tries to sweet talk his way past the guards, which doesn't really work, but it does show him on the security cameras inside. And the man in the building is like, dude, let him in, bring him to me. But security also knows that Silas is nearby and they're like, dude, don't let him in. But the guards don't let Gavin in. They forcefully try to take them in, which is when Levi, Lucas, and Scott show up. But the guards have tasers of some kind. We've been waiting for these tasers to show up, right? These are the tasers who killed Eddie and Jonathan. Why they killed them is apparently a completely different story. After the scuffle, our team splits. Gavin goes with the guards... Sam, Izzy, Levi, and Eve go to find Silas, who helped during the fight and then got out of there. And Lucas and Scott are on their own. See, Lucas got tased, which hurt, but didn't kill him. You can't just tase people because you you think it's funny. Still, the effect of the tasing left the same spread on his arm that Eddie and Jonathan had. So they are heading back to the clearing so that he can rest or something. I'm not really sure. Maybe they have more medical supplies at the clearing than just hanging outside of the Lazarus building. Meanwhile, in 1988, Riley, Carolyn, and Josh enter Carolyn's mainframe of DOS computers in her basement. This is where she is working on her time travel research. And she's siphoning power from a nearby skating rink or amusement center, but the power just went out. So Carolyn tells Riley and Josh to go down to that amusement center and change the fuses. When Levi, Izzy, Eve, and Sam catch up with Silas, he's like, I, I work alone. He says he can rescue Gavin, but the others will only get in the way. Eventually, he relents and he brings them aboard. I mean, with so many Harris's intent on going to 1988 to save Josh, why not? Silas admits that he fears the man in the building, who we meet when... Gavin wakes up to meet a wavy-haired white man with a goatee dressed all in black. That's how you could describe most bad guys, right? He says he is James, and he tells Gavin, I am your father. Back at the clearing, Judah is addressing the remaining people, saying, quote, The capable people have gone, and he's trying to be a leader. Go home, Judah. No one is taking him seriously, and he's even more hampered by Lucas and Scott returning. With Lucas's state, Veronica is worried, but she's also paralyzed with fear. Any first aid stuff we have would be great, too. Please, grab whatever you can. Sorry. Yeah, let me see if I can find something. Hey, I found some aloe. The Lazarus building must be crazy with energy consumption. The hallways look like a dance club, and there's a huge greenhouse inside. 
James tells his side of the whole story. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) They came from 2076, where the world can't sustain itself. So they've gone back in time, and they're sending resources from the past into the future. They're also testing things and what have you. Like, a plant that didn't survive could have beneficial medical properties for 2076. So they ship it through time and everything's great in 2076. Except for, you know, like all these residual sinkholes that keep happening. And James says he'd love to help reunite Josh and the Harrises, but his portal can only go back and forth between 10,000 BC and 2076. Outside of the building, Sam tries to advise Eve about her love triangle by using platitudes. They don't do any good. Platitudes rarely do, right? Silas, though, reveals his sneaky secret entrance. But they have to get through this week's mini-boss, a giant-ass vulture. Vulture will eat any small animal that goes near the sewer pipe entrance tunnel thing that they're going through. But Eve runs off to cause a distraction. Everyone sneaks in, and after a quick close call, she gets in too. Suck it, vulture! But at the clearing, Lucas is getting worse. His skin burns, so Veronica brings him aloe. But he's kind of tone deaf and doesn't realize that she's trying to comfort him and have a moment with him. I guess his skin is burning and he's probably dying because his whole body is starting to look a lot like Eddie when he was found dead. So maybe we can give him a pass on this. But not Veronica. She gets all emotional and angsty with Lucas, and he doesn't seem to understand why. It takes Scott later to coax him with a baby Ruth to be nice to Veronica and tell him, She likes you! So Caroline tells Riley and Josh to stay at the ice rink just in case the power goes out again. You know, I used to play hockey. I was terrible. (laughs) But my dad thought I was amazing. He had this vision for me as a left winger, so I gave it a shot. I hated how much he pushed me. But now I'd give anything just to hear his voice again. Yeah, I... I miss my dad, too. Riley misses her dad a lot, and Josh said he misses his, too. But really, I don't think Josh cares to be reunited with his family. He hasn't demonstrated any signs of missing them, and it feels like he'd much rather just start a new life with Riley, who's incidentally tied to him in 1988. So when Riley seems sad, Josh says that they should go ice skating. Okay, they fall down and almost kiss, but it's interrupted. Today we'll be discussing edging. It's Caroline on the walkie-talkie. She needs the power shut down ASAP because someone is coming into her house, and they'll find her room in no time. But who are they? Are they portal police? Are they Lazarus employees? Are they simply the power company? They cut the power just in time, and before she goes, Carolyn says, through the walkie-talkie, eat your Wheaties. When they get to her home later, they can't find her anywhere, but they do find a box of Wheaties and a transmitter thing inside. Riley says, my dad would know what this is, but he's in 10,000 BC. So instead of tracking down somebody who knows what they're talking about, like, I don't know, maybe Franklin Marsh? She decides to put her future in jeopardy and talk to the younger version of her dad, who hits on her, and she tells him way too much by Back to the Future standards. She gives him a note, she tells him to memorize it, and we hope that he does. Silas and his gang of lies, that's the team name for Levi, Izzy, Eve, and Sam, are roaming these utility tunnels and trying to find a way into the building. It's just a matter of time, really. Except Sam has this weird feeling. He's... he's... Getting a new memory. 
And in that moment, they're also caught by security. While Gavin weighs staying in the building to save the future, James comes clean. He shows a picture of Caroline and admits that he was kind of bad in the future past, and now he's reformed. Wouldn't you hope that your children would give you a second chance, he asks. And this is just in time to get his guilt going. Remember, Gavin wants a second chance with his family, after all. So James takes Gavin to his family in the tunnel, and James gets caught lying when he said the portal couldn't go to 1988. Gavin didn't trust him. He almost trusted him, and now he doesn't trust him again. But Gavin uses his leverage to negotiate Silas's release and demand that his family use the portal to go see Josh. Lucas admits that he has a fear of attachment since his mom died, but Veronica has the same problem. So they trauma bond, and it's kind of sweet, but Lucas's taser disease is spreading, and they just seem to be waiting for it to keep spreading. There's like no plan to get around it, and Lucas passes out before the episode ends. Gavin and the Lies get to the portal, and it opens. Sam goes in first, and then Levi, and then the Harrises. Now, when it comes to portals, my only reference is the show Sliders. Uh, in that world, things would probably go bad here because that's five whole people going through a portal. And something about distributing that much mass or whatever was a bit of a challenge for the portal. But here it works out. You're supposed to be unsure as you see Riley and Josh kiss on a beach because, you know, absolutely no one is looking out for this girl's well-being. We're in terrible danger, girl. So Gavin and the gang come up and hug these two, and it's a happy ending, except for that mini earthquake that happens. That jump may be the one that causes another hole, maybe the one that causes the tidal wave that could crush Santa Monica. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I meant... Oh, also, James's head of security, Kira, she's a babe. What just happened? We found out who's tasing people in 10,000 BC. Finally. It's the Lazarus security people. But why are they tasing people? Jonathan was totally unarmed and Eddie was just good at hunting. Did they stumble upon something they shouldn't have seen? I mean, I guess one guy with a taser could be what they weren't supposed to see, right? But you're going to kill them for that? That's a very good question. Since there's all this organic life in the Lazarus building, then maybe the cow did come from here. But of course, I still need to know, where is the cow now? That's a very good question. Now we have two people who need cures, Lucas and Ty. The thing is, Lucas is dying inside of a bus, while any hope of a possible cure probably lies within the Lazarus building. One of these little plants could probably help Ty, too. The thing is, how are they going to save these guys? Because they just jumped in a portal to 1988, and nobody seems to care about anybody but themselves. That's a very good question. What is going on with this Harris family tree? Like, if this was a school project, I would love to see it because Gavin would have a lot of weird dates on it, first of all, and he would appear to be negative years old. But my real question is, who is Silas the father of? I'm going to go ahead and just pick Caroline because he told Isaiah that she was the most important person to him. That's a very good question. Will Sam kick Josh's ass because I think he should? That's a very good question. This has all been going on for about a month, right? Just for context, I just kind of wanted to set that out there. That's a very good question. So they got to 1988. Now Gavin and Isaiah are in the same moment in time. Young Sam and Sam are in the same moment. Presumably young Eve is alive somewhere eating mushrooms on a farm. And who knows what young Levi is up to. 
But with all these duplicates living in the same time, will time and space just rip apart at the seams in the fall finale? That's a very good question. Digging deeper. Sam Velez fell into the sinkhole and turned out to be almost a cliche. He's a former Navy SEAL. He's a doctor. He's a father. It's almost funny that he is the most experienced and valuable member they have, but they never consult with him. We get some depth from Sam when we find out that he's kind of addicted to his anxiety pills. And once the pills run out, we find out that he has PTSD and then his anxiety just disappears. He's been a more blind force to get to 1988 than even Gavin because he doesn't have to consult with a partner. And his urgency probably comes with the knowledge that Josh is probably being gross with his daughter somewhere in the future. We know that Sam has a son and a wife in 2021. That's Andrew and Mrs. Velez. Andrew seems nice. Riley seems smart and tough, except for kissing Josh. So it seems like they have a pretty decent family in the end. Even though we learn that Sam had some rocky moments in his marriage as well. And based on the way that he's advising Eve, it might have to do with infidelity. When Sam has his new memory moment in the tunnel, do you think he remembers hitting on his daughter? Anyway, young Sam lives in Santa Monica, loves hot dogs, and may be killed by a tidal wave from a new sinkhole pretty soon. Sam is portrayed by John Seda, who has been around the block, especially at NBC. He was in 115 episodes of Chicago PD, and he has a long list of appearances among your favorite dramas like Law & Order SVU, Hawaii Five-0, The Closer, Burn Notice, House, Numbers, The Ghost Whisperer, Las Vegas. I mean, that's just to name a few. He's a former boxer, and he seems to love being in tough guy roles in variably budgeted action movies. Recently, Fangirlish caught up with him to talk about Sam and La Brea. Coming directly from that article, one of the actors we believe in is Dr. Sam Velez, a guy who Seda described as someone who is all about helping people. But he added that everyone has things maybe they're not proud of and things maybe they don't want to admit in their lives, which is something we'll see come up for Sam. Quote, Part of his family is still away from him, and he wants to do whatever he can to try to get them back. And he kind of fills that void by helping people. Something that helps him focus. His helping others seems to be avoidance as well. Quote, The more he's focused on everyone else and trying to put the puzzle together and move forward, helps him not have to look at himself and really deal with the issues he has inside him. But avoidance can only take you so far, and there always comes a point where you have to face things that scare you, even if those things are inside you. In the media reviews. I said we wouldn't end up back here, but I'm back here. The thing is, it doesn't seem like people like to review episodes of TV shows, or if they do, they're not showing up in a news feed that I can find. And there's a lot of crazy speculation happening over at the Reddit, but since I haven't hit reviews in a while, I thought, let's go back to IMDb and see what's what. So, sorting by the review date, we have some pretty positive reviews coming up top. One is from Leah C. Johnson-06557, and this is from November 9th. I don't know why everyone is hating on it. Okay, it's not exactly the greatest show ever, but it's not the dumpster fire everyone is making it out to be on here. Yes, the acting isn't going to win any awards, the storyline requires a decent amount of suspension of disbelief, and the special effects are iffy, but it's not really that bad. Some of the subplots are more engaging than the main tension, and as the relationships are weaving together and becoming more nuanced, it adds some depth. 
It's been a really good background show, something I don't have to pay a ton of attention to, but can still enjoy. I don't mind if it lasts for a few seasons. I agree with that. The next review is a three-star review where the guy basically rips apart all like the sort of scientific nuances and stuff that, again, we don't really care about because it's not real. And then the next one is a one-star review that just complains about Eve the whole time. But what sucks about it is the subject is, could be better, female lead that is. And to me, that sort of lends itself to the actor and not the character. But the main character that is female is who he's complaining about. He's complaining about Eve. He's not complaining about Natalie Z. And I just made it a a he, but it actually says Tiffany. (laughs) I guess I just imagine that guys hate more on women. (laughs) A five-star review. It's So Bad It's Good by J.R. Bond-57624. Terrible acting, script, plot and totally ridiculous all around, but strangely entertaining. The show is absolutely mindless. The stories are insane. It meanders every which way. The subplots that frustrate and add nothing to the tale. But I still find myself going back. Yes, there are other shows much more worthy of your time, and if you're not prepared to take this show at face value, I suggest you go watch something much better, if you haven't already seen the big ones. Because this show is awful. It's more comedy value than dramatic impact that I stayed watching, but the plot, script, and acting are hilarious. It's one of those, it's so bad, it's actually good. I have to disagree with you a little bit, J.R. Bond. I don't think that the stories are insane, and I'm actually pretty impressed how, based on my list of questions episode a couple of weeks back, that the writers are actually coming around to tie up some of the loose threads that were left behind. So I think that dissing the acting and the writing is kind of unfair. I think everybody's doing a good job considering what the show is. And what is the show? Well, it's a sci-fi adventure drama about people who fell into a sinkhole and landed back in time. If that were the plot of Breaking Bad, people would have had the same critiques that they have for La Brea. Here's a four-star review from C. Gem. Hilariously addictive. I can't stop watching this without a WTF smile on my face. The script is rubbish. The relationships are rubbish. In fact, it's all rubbish. There's a whole bunch of people on many occasions wandering through the trees when at any moment some gigantic beast could be there and make mincemeat out of them, and they just plod on talking about their feelings. I'm wondering if the writers are assuming that living in 10,000 BC was like a walk in the park or a trip to the local mall. Anyhow, I'll watch it to the bitter end, because I'm a glutton for punishment. I don't know why it wasn't cancelled after the first series. Perhaps someone distracted the network axe man on the day that the plug was pulled on far superior offerings. Okay, see, Gem. Tell me, what superior offerings were cancelled for La Brea? Let me just tell you what they were. They were Superstore, which I don't know was cancelled. I think it just finished. Same thing with The Good Place. Uh, So we lost Bluff City Law, which I heard no one speak of at all. Council of Dads, which I have never heard of at all. Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which got picked up for like a movie, right? And then Perfect Harmony, which had Bradley Whitford and seemed really weird. So where, my friend, are these superior offerings that got axed? That's a very good question. So all in all, I think that the thing that we can take away from some of these reviews, I thought there were more good ones than they turned out to be. But but I think that what we can take away from the reviews is 
who we are as people who like the show. We're not scientists who are looking for flaws. We're not skeptics who are trying to find flaws in the construction of the show itself. We like the show because it's got prehistoric stuff, crazy twists and turns, and because we can just turn off our brain, watch the show, enjoy it, and have a good time for at least an hour a week. And if you want to take that away from me, that's just mean. Hey Panini, don't you be a meanie. So that wraps things up for this week's episode of the La Brea Purveya. Coming up Tuesday is the mid-season finale, which looks like it's going to be crazy. They better not kill Lucas, but we'll talk about all that next week. For now, if you have enjoyed the show, then you can definitely shoot us an email at shout at yallheard.me, which is the email for the parent podcast of this, which is called Y'all Heard. Shoot an email there, though, and if it's about La Brea, I will be happy to work it into the show. If you like what you're hearing enough to pay money for it, then you can always go over to patreon.com slash yallheard and join up for a dollar or two and get all sorts of crazy bonus content from me and my podcast partner, Marissa, from the Y'all Heard podcast. Otherwise, enjoy your week ahead and make sure you don't step into any patches of moving light that might be portals to the future. (laughs) 